G'day and welcome to Occupied. My name's Brock Cook and this is your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. This episode is going to be a little bit different in that it's to do with something that's happened to me and to the, the place that I live in recently. It's to do with natural disaster. We've recently been through a flood, so if you find that kind of stuff confronting, I promise there's not too many gory details or anything, but if you do find discussions of that nature confronting, feel free to take appropriate measures and even skip the episode if you if you uh, find that a bit too much. For everyone else who wants to listen, going to have a look at the experience of going through this natural disaster through an occupational lens. Because there was a number of, I think, quite interesting things that I sort of picked up on that were, were happening in the town um, throughout the, the event. So other than that, guys, hope you enjoy. Would love to hear your feedback or if you've got anything to add or similar experiences, get in contact with me. All my contact details are at brockcook.com. Enjoy. So for those of you who don't, know me personally so i live in a place called townsville in the northern part of eastern australia and recently pretty much all of february townsville's been having immense floods so we ended up getting a what they were calling initially they were calling it a one in 10 year then it became a one in 50 year then it was a one in 100 year and I think finally they settled on a one in 500 year or something uh, wet event, is what they were calling it. Essentially a monsoon. Townsville traditionally is a, a quite a dry place, so what we ended up getting was a lot more rain in seven days than we normally get in a year. So I think normally we get about a thousand mils or nine hundred mils or something in a, across a year, most of which does generally fall in this sort of February period. However, we ended up getting like sixteen hundred mils in seven days. Now, as you can imagine, a place that's generally quite dry, uh, it does have we do have creeks and rivers and that kind of stuff, but generally quite dry isn't used to handling that much water, isn't naturally or man-made designed to handle that much water and coincidentally well, not coincidentally and hence uh, we ended up with some quite serious floods what i want to do is actually have a look at some of the things that i observed during the the periods of these floods and have a look at them from an occupational point of view because one thing I noticed, probably the main thing I noticed, which kind of triggered my whole you know, idea of doing this particular podcast, was that people's behaviors, people's values, um, even like the habits, routines, everything pretty much that we think about when we're doing occupational analysis, that kind of stuff, changed because of this natural disaster event. The routines that most people generally had, given that it was, I think it started roughly on a Wednesday-ish. I got sent home from work about lunchtime Wednesday. 
uh, which I should probably pull up the date to give more context, but doesn't matter. Uh, people would normally be going to work. Uni has not started. University has not started yet. It doesn't start for another two weeks. It'll probably be just starting by the time this podcast is actually released. Um, however, school, so high school and primary school, the kids have got, had gone back to school for about a week before the, the, this wet event, as they're calling it, uh, began. So most people were starting to get back into that work, school, um, you know, after school, after work, routine, all their, their usual routines. Most people, there wasn't like a Christmas period where most people, a lot of people on holidays, that kind of stuff. It was a general, uh, on average, I'd say, normal routine for the most of Townsville. So a couple observations that I'd like to sort of look at in a bit more detail is one, what happened or what I observed happening in person um, or heard could be secondhand, thirdhand necessarily, but the, the things that were happening in real life. But then also people's behaviours with regards to social media because that was an exceptionally big change that I saw in a much larger population uh, than normally is engaged in that kind of stuff on social media in Townsville. And what I mean by that is, for context, uh, I was in 2011, I, I lived in Brisbane and we had a, a really big flood in Brisbane at that time. One of the things that was taken note of during that flood or after that flood was the use of social media as an exceptionally effective method of getting news out to people, uh, updates, warnings, all that kind of stuff, people communicating with each other during the floods when, you know, some people weren't deset, weren't engaged in, you know, the TV or the radio, that kind of stuff. It's modern day times. A lot of people don't have a radio lying around the house. Uh, for some reason, I happen to have one, but that's another story. But Twitter especially was an exceptionally useful tool during that uh, natural disaster for disseminating updates, disseminating warnings, what suburbs were closed, roads were closed, um, whether your water was good to drink or whether you had to boil it, uh, whether you were about to lose electricity because your company was about to turn it off, uh, where the company, the electricity or gas companies were actually working to restore services, all of that kind of information that you really kind of would usually be, no pun intended, left in the dark about, unless you were staring at a TV, which some people couldn't because they didn't have electricity, or you had a radio on hand. The thing is with radio updates is often they're not, uh, they're quite regular, they might only be hourly um, for some radio stations up here anyway, so it didn't feel like you were getting regular updates from radio, but social media you could get updates on anything, anytime, anywhere, uh, mobile phones, the, the biggest issue people had was making sure they had charge for their mobile phones. During the event in Townsville, however, I noticed a very similar trend in that social media was probably most people's main uh, avenue for getting updates, getting information, uh, sharing updates, sharing information, uh, sharing availability of themselves and services, etc., etc. This time it was very much Facebook. 
So, for example, the suburb that I live in has it and has for quite some time. It wasn't set up especially for this event, but has a Facebook group for the suburb. During the time of the the, the floods, that Facebook group very much was people sharing information about what was going on in their street. We were told that it wasn't safe to go out into the streets and to stay home because of floodwaters. Uh, we had a lot of flash flooding, so water's rising really rapidly and catching people off guard. Uh, so we were told, essentially, stay home. Uh, they have a saying here that if it's flooded, forget it. A lot of people were getting caught trying to drive through floodwaters and the waters being either a lot deeper, a lot faster, or rising while they were on a bridge or on a, on a shallow pass and them getting caught out and then having to be rescued which was all burdening an already very stretched uh, emergency services system. But the Facebook group was used to share individuals from essentially what they could see from their house. But when you get a whole suburb doing that, it's kind of, it almost seemed like sonar for the whole suburb. Because when you could get updates from all different streets, all different angles from those streets, all different positions from down those streets, where the water was coming up, where it was over, where it was draining away. You got a really good picture without even stepping outside of your house of what was going on around you. You knew whether or not you really had to sandbag the front of your house, whether or not you were going to be okay. You knew where, I've got friends who also live in this suburb, you knew whether their streets were going to be okay, whether in an emergency you'd be able to get to their their house uh, or if it was going to be cut off. There was a lot of really valuable information, but it was very segmented and it was kind of like putting together a puzzle. So you get little pieces of this puzzle from all different people living in the suburb, but what you would end up with was quite a very accurate, up-to-date and continually updating picture of the, the unfolding event in the suburb around us. I'm not 100%. This is the first time I've ever come across a suburb that has its own Facebook group. I'm not sure if it happens in other places. But after this event, I can say that I strongly recommend it. It was fantastic. There was also an, a, a, another Facebook group. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. Something to do with North Queensland flood disaster. Um, that wasn't for my suburb. It was for the whole of Townsville. And it had... So there's about 180,000 people in Townsville. There was probably 40,000 of those in this group. And it was a similar sort of thing during the initial stages of the event uh, where people were sharing updates on their suburbs, a lot of people asking about relatives that they couldn't contact and asking if anyone sort of in neighbouring houses had any updates. A lot of people were reconnected with family once they were evacuated and sent into, we had evacuation centers at various points around town that a lot of people ended up in for short periods. And I believe there's probably still some people in there at the moment, but a lot of people were uh, lost touch with friends and loved ones, but were put back in touch, you know, through these groups, through other people that may have charge on their phone and may, you know, be sitting next to that person or talking to that person at the time in an evacuation center and were able to put them back in touch with loved ones etc. Incredibly powerful little short bursts of information that gave people a lot more connection and a lot more of a, a wider picture about what was happening in Townsville. 
The worst of the flooding, so I live roughly on the north side of Townsville. The worst of the flooding was on the south side. Through that group, I was able to see a lot of it unfolding. There was videos, pictures. There was people that would go live on Facebook and show the people in that group certain um, suburbs, intersections, roads, uh, rivers, where they were at, whether they were coming up, whether they were going down, etc. Damage to different roads and to different bridges, etc. The amount of information that was churning into that group was absolutely phenomenal. And I can 100% appreciate that for a lot of people, it may have even be too much for them to process and comprehend at, you know, what, especially if they were going, they were stuck in the middle of it and they were going through a really difficult time. But the information was all there. And it was live. It was being updated. The mayor would any any updates from the mayor, from the Bureau of Meteorology, from the Townsville Disaster Coordination Service, I think it's called, were all shared into the group so that everyone was aware of every update that had come out. Everyone was on the same page. Everyone knew it was going to happen. Everyone, I say everyone very broadly, but. A lot more people than would have been aware or ready for the events had that group not existed. The interesting thing that I noticed was that there was a lot of people that came in purely and simply for connection, looking for friends, loved ones, people in similar situations during that time. And a lot of them, but everyone that I saw, post in there looking for you know anyone on this street anyone on that street anyone with updates from this got very rapid and usually very detailed and accurate uh, information through that group it was quite fascinating to watch it unfold there were also other people that were offering services so a lot of the evacuation centers i'm not sure the reasoning for it i'm assuming it's to stop animals from fighting or something but a lot of the evacuation centers would not allow pets and a lot of people were refusing to leave their houses in evacuation zones because they didn't want to leave their pets. So through that group, there was a lot of people that were volunteering their houses in safe areas, their yards, etc. You know, if you have your pets, bring them. We'll look after them. You go to the evac centers, um, you know, you can come pick them up afterwards kind of thing. A lot of services like that were being offered in the heat of the moment at a moment's notice, really quick, really rapid. When one person, it was kind of like that first follower kind of thing, first person offers to look after someone else's pets while they are being evacuated, all of a sudden there's a whole heap of people go, yeah, I can do that too. It may not have even been something they even considered as an issue. It's not something I would have thought of initially when I thought, oh crap, Townsville's flooding. Where are people going to put their pets? Obviously, if I was in that situation, it would have come to me a lot quicker. But seeing those messages, I'm like, yeah, that's really helpful. And obviously, a lot of other people were then sort of almost triggered by that uh, offer of assistance to go, well, I've got a yard, it's fenced, or I've got a garage a lot of times. Um, If your pets are caged, they can come and stay here. I'll look after them uh, until until the flood's over and you can return home kind of thing. It was really amazing to see, and that was just that's just one example of the kinds of help that people were offering. People were offering rooms, 
people were offering, I've got a caravan, it's on high thing, you can go and stay in the caravan. Um, the community really came together through social media. There was a lot of people that were helping in person. There was a lot of people, uh, there's probably videos, I may even see if I can share some in the show notes of this episode that were, Townsville's kind of like a big country town. A lot of people have boats, that kind of thing. So there was a lot of people at one point who had boats, their own boats that were launching them off a flooded highway to go and rescue people and help evacuate people that got caught in the floodwaters and didn't have time to get out before the water came up. So there was a lot of people um, utilizing their own resources. A lot of people were then putting in the... That, that particular Facebook group, I've got, I've got a dinghy, I'm free. Dinghy's a boat, if you're not sure, like a little fishing boat. Um, I've got a boat, I'm free. What's your address? Do you need me to come and get you, et cetera, et cetera. It was very much a point of coordination. Uh, and there were people that within that group that took on almost leadership roles to coordinate specific aspects of it. So there was a lady, I do recall, who took it upon herself to coordinate the, um, essentially the, the, the accommodation of pets. So people who had space for pets would message her, let her know. She obviously kept a list of them and then people who needed pets to be housed for a period would also message her and she would coordinate that. Um, it just stopped things getting lost in the group. And it was one of those things that just evolved. It didn't, it wasn't asked, they weren't delegated, and there were. It, it just came out of that natural sense of community leadership and, and people wanting to help their own community, um, which was just amazing to watch as an observer. And that, like again, the the pets thing, just one example. It happened for a whole range of things, and it's happening still as part of the cleanup now. There's still information being shared. Apparently, there's all sorts of bugs and bacteria and stuff that people can get sick from, from the, the mud and sludge that's been left over. There's information around that and there's information on, there's, there's been a lot of mold and that kind of stuff. So there's been information on where people can buy vinegar because Townsville's just been selling out of vinegar because apparently that's really good for cleaning mold. Um, so there's been updates on this place has got a stock and this place has got stock and this place has now run out so that people could more efficiently coordinate their own cleanups um, or assist other people with theirs. There was also some very negative stories to come out. Not too many, which is good, but there were some things like looting uh, stories that came out. And I was looking at that from the perspective of sort of a dark occupation. And I do recall there was actually one person who decided they were going to try and recruit other people to go looting with them uh, on Facebook and who got caught, called out uh, within one of those groups uh, and who was trying to defend themselves and in the process of defending themselves gave the explanation of something to the effect of talking to some other person that you haven't lost everything, I've lost everything, what am I going to do, I don't have insurance, etc, etc. So his answer to essentially looking after his family and replacing his goods was to steal them. And I, I, I see that as a really good example of dark occupations at work in that, yes, there probably is some 
much more, well, there is some much more, I guess, health positive occupations that he may be able to engage in in order to replace his belongings and look after his family. But in the moment, in the stress, in the context, or in his context, that seemed like the the most logical, the most sensible, the, I don't know whether it was the easiest or whether it was a really difficult decision for him, but it seemed like the occupation that he was most likely to get a positive benefit from. Luckily, I'm led to believe he didn't end up going looting and he actually, the the reactions from people were quite, were, were too extreme, so... The majority of people were really angry uh, towards this gentleman, and uh, some of them were quite rude. But there was one person, and that message really stood out to me. Reached out to help. And I believe it was just that person was the only person that this gentleman would actually reply to in these messages. And I that gave me hope that he, that one person was the one person that showed him that, okay, you're looking at engaging in, in quite dark occupations at the moment, but there are other ways. Because I suspect that a lot of people engage in those dark occupations because they don't foresee or it's not a good fit any other ways. The fact that he connected with that one person that reached out to help instead of just belittle and, uh, I guess, talk down to him, led me to hope that he would take that path and take that person's help. They were offering him assistance. They were going to come and help him, feed him. Uh, They were going to look after his family, and they were going to help him uh, source new belongings after the floods. In person, I... from my personal experience, uh, we we had very little uh, damage or anything like that from the floods. Where I, I live, we, we mainly got cut off from roads being flooded, but my house itself was, was relatively unaffected other than being very, very wet for quite a few days and now extremely hot and humid uh, a couple of days post-rain. But... One thing I noticed from my own personal experience was the experience of being stuck inside at home for a much more extended period than I'm used to. My, I, I am a very routine-driven kind of person. I like my routines. It serves me well both physically and for my own mental health. I don't generally cope with uh, changes to my my routine as well as I believe that I would like to. However, under pressure situations, I tend to function very, very well. So in the initial stages of this emergency situation, I was very alert. I was very engaged. I was getting updates. I knew exactly what was going on around all the streets around our neighborhood. I had evac plans. I knew what, when, how we were going to go if we needed to. I knew what, when, how we needed to, you know, where the water was going to come from if it was going to come and all that kind of stuff. I was very alert, very aware in the initial stages. After that 
very acute sort of danger period had passed and I didn't need to be so alert, which was probably 48 hours. Uh, I experienced an extreme fatigue. Like, felt like almost like I was sick. I was that tired. And I think it was from being so alert and having so much adrenaline for a couple of days that it essentially just wore me out, but I didn't realize at the time. One, my routine was completely out of whack. I was engaging in very different occupations to what I'd normally engage in. It was, there was no routine at all. I was very much, because I didn't have any routine, when routine is normally there to try and conserve energy, because we can do a lot of things with a routine that we don't have to put much thought or energy into actually prepping or doing. Our body just does them. Without the routine and with the ever-changing contextual environment, so, you know, is water going to come through the front door kind of thing, I was having to stay much more alert than I normally would during the day, but for a very, or a much longer and a much more extended period of time. Because I needed to be able to adjust my occupations, my engagement, what I needed to do at a moment's notice. And things were changing that quickly that it really was going to be at a moment's notice if anything happened. That was very different for me. And I can kind of understand why I got, I got so fatigued after that. And that, that fatigue probably lasted a, a couple of days. I was still functioning. We were in no danger. The water had moved south of us and it was really playing havoc on the southern side of Townsville, the northern side. Uh, at times, it would even stop raining when, we were, when they were in peak floods on the southern side. That period, we were still sort of almost trapped at home and very much got some cabin fever. We couldn't go anywhere. The roads were cut. And it probably took another two or three days and I was so bored that at one point I just went and stood in the backyard in the rain because I just literally needed to get out of the house for five minutes. That was quite refreshing, just getting out of the house for that tiny little amount of time. But it really highlighted to me that I needed to try and create some routine. So eventually, once I finally clicked onto this, I started to, I guess, OT myself and started trying to build some more occupational routines. So yes, I was still just doing things around the house, but I would actually structure them. So I was working from home at that time. It wasn't time off, so I was working from home. So I would still structure my workday like I normally would. I would get up at six, make coffee, have breakfast, um, watch the news, read the news, get the updates from what had happened in the weather overnight, come into my office. My office was my workplace for those period, those few days. Work, have lunch, work, go home from lunch, as in step out of the room, uh, and then go about my usual routine. There were some things that I really couldn't do, uh, obviously, for not leaving home. Like I couldn't go and visit friends or I couldn't, you know, quickly just duck down the shops and see what we had or what we were going to have for dinner and that kind of stuff. We had to just kind of make do with what we had in the freezer. But as much as I possibly could, I... either stuck to my routine or created a routine uh, around my environmental factors, around my contextual factors. And that really, really helped. Both physically and mentally, I felt a lot better. I wasn't so fatigued. I didn't feel like I'd been run over by a bus. I stopped going so stir-crazy. 
because I actually had some routine. I had some structure. Uh, my my brain was actually doing something. I wasn't just sitting in front of the TV. I was having to do some work. And even though a lot of the work was just admin stuff, it didn't take a lot of brain power. It was taking more than I was using just sitting in front of the TV watching the weather. Uh, and I think that, to me, really highlights the power of occupation, especially through habit and routine. Without it... <sighs> It's almost like the beginnings of a depression. You feel empty. You feel numb. You f- it physically manifests as being really drowsy, being really slow. It's it's hard to unless unless you've been occupationally deprived like that. It, it's hard to put into words. It's something that people really need to experience to get their head around. But. If you ever have, and I know a lot of people have at different times, whether it was for a week and a half or whether it was for an hour, occupational deprivation will affect your mental health and can affect your physical health and vice versa. Your physical health can can affect your mental health and your mental health can have physical presentations as well. And that was something I really experienced during this, uh, this, this event, this, this natural disaster. So Townsville's now in a rebuilding phase. The The rain has stopped. The floodwaters have all but receded, I believe. And especially the southern side of, of Townsville is in a major cleanup. There's thousands of houses that have, have lost everything. It's even a metre of water going through a house will destroy all furniture and pretty much all electronics in it. Because if you think about it, there's not too much in our houses that aren't on the floor. Desks, computers, PowerPoints are usually quite low, all of that. Um, Even the walls, you have to pull the walls out and fix them, that kind of stuff. Lots of people lost lost cars. Uh, We're very, very lucky that in the whole event, there was only two people that lost their lives. Uh, As sad as that is, I, I think given the considerable size and magnitude and speed of a lot of the floods uh, that we had, that's that's an absolute miracle that there was only two. Um, it's a very... It, it was I was predicting it to be a very sad time for Townsville post the floods, but even in what I'm seeing in those groups now, it's a very positive and joyous and there's a lot of really people are sometimes in those groups just sharing positive stories thanking people that helped them strangers that walked up to them after the floods and helped them move furniture and helped them mop mud um the army who helped them sandbag the strangers who showed up in a boat and helped them out of their house there are so many amazing positive stories coming out of it and i really think that as a whole morale even though it's been such a a big shock for a small country city uh the morale is a lot higher than i i could have ever predicted uh in an event like this it's it really is a testament to the community of townsville and i i i I, yeah i congratulate them on that aspect of it um for everyone else if you do happen to be here and and you need help you need someone to talk to if you've been through this kind of stuff get in contact with people connection 
and the ability to work together is essentially what made humans human. <laughs> That's what took us out of the Stone Age. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of research and a lot of evidence to say that humans' ability to work together in large groups is what separates us from other species. That's what put us at the top of the food chain because we're not the fastest, we're not the strongest. We're probably not even the smartest, although we'd be pretty close. Um, but it's our ability to coordinate with each other and our ability to work together in large groups that has helped us evolve to this point. And, and I see that whenever there's a natural disaster or whenever there's large events that affect a large group of people is those people pull together. Um, and, and I'm definitely grateful to be a part of it. So thanks for, for listening, guys. Hopefully uh, that gave you some insight into, one, what we've been going through for the last couple of weeks, but hopefully from a bit of an occupational perspective and hopefully if you've been through an event, a cyclone, a hurricane, depending on where you are in the world, a tornado, a whirlpool, a you know, quicksand, whatever it is, um, have a think about it. I, I encourage you to have a think about it from an occupational perspective. What did you observe? What did you... What did you feel? How did your, you know, acutely and chronically, how did your occupational repertoire change? How did, did you experience occupational deprivation? What did that feel like? Um, have a think about it. I think it's a very valuable uh, exercise for anyone who's, who's been through any kind of transitional period, especially an occupational one. So thanks a lot, guys, and I will talk to you very soon. <laughs>